Well, good morning. Uh, welcome to Christ the King. My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. I'm glad that you're with us this morning. Uh, this morning, we are going to be looking at 1 Peter chapter 5. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. You can also follow along in your order of service. The passage is printed in your bulletin. Um, we are nearing the end of 1 Peter. So this is our second to last uh, sermon in this series. Next week, we'll complete uh, our, our study of the book, and then we'll move into the season of Advent, where we'll be looking at a passage of Isaiah. But, but in 1 Peter, as we've been looking at it, we've seen how uh, the Apostle Peter is addressing this church that is being persecuted. Uh, these Christians are being maligned and marginalized. They're being put down and ignored. They're being treated disdainfully. And so Peter writes to them to encourage them. He writes to them to build up their faith, to equip them so that they would know how they are to live as they live as exiles. Remember, that's what he calls them. That's what the church is. We are a community of exiles. This is not our home. We're foreigners in a foreign land. We're strangers in a strange land. And so Peter has been encouraging us for how we are to live with this reality by saying that we're a people who are to be submissive, that we're to be a people who live with suffering. And this morning he tells us that we are a people who are to live with leadership, to live under authority. And so Peter addresses the leadership of his church. He addresses the authorities of the church in 1 Peter 5. So let's go ahead and read the first five verses. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our God, our King, we do thank you for this portion of your word. We thank you that you have given it to us so that we would know how we are to live in this world, how we are to live as your people. And so I ask that you would allow my words and you would allow all of our hearts to honor you as we come to this, your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So every time Kat and I go out on a date whether it's to a movie or out for a meal, uh, the age of our children are such that, that we can't leave them alone. <laughs> uh, we could, but then the authorities would probably show up at our doors, right? Um, so so we, we call a, a babysitter, someone to watch our kids. And, and when uh, the sitter arrives, we have a routine that we go through every single time without fail. Kat usually describes for the sitter what's been going on in our life, you know, how the kids have been doing, goes over the routine, when they can go to bed, what food they can eat, what, what shows they can or can't watch, those various things. And before we leave, before we're, we're trying to run out the door, before we're grabbed yet again, I have something I say to our kids every single time. I say, I love you, and I'll see you later. 
But before I say that, I have something that they hear, a, a question that every one of them gets asked before we'll leave. And the question, I say, Lane, Mead, Cole, who is in charge? <laughs> now, they know the right answer. They don't even have to look up. In fact, oftentimes they don't. Who is in charge? They'll just point and go Katie or Georgia or whoever else is the sitter for that night. They know the right response, that they are the people that are in charge. And I ask my kids this every single time before we leave because I want them to know that though mom and dad are not there, there is an authority in this place, and it's not them. I want the, the sitter to hear that for the next few hours, there is a delegated authority, and it is them. And that for the next couple of hours, they are supposed to reign in my household as Kat and I would. And my children are supposed to respond to the sitter just as, well, better than they would to me and Kat. <laughs> but it's funny because though my kids know we're going to ask this question every single time, and though they know the answer to this question every single time, every once in a while, one of them gives a little different response. They get this little smile on their face, and, and they kind of look up at us knowingly. And when we say, who's in charge, they say, <laughs> I am. <laughs> and that's a very funny response, especially when a four-year-old sang it to you, right? When our kids were young, a four-year-old saying, I'm in charge, right? Forget this person that you are leaving me with. I make the rules, right? And they laugh, and we laugh, and we giggle, because it is, it is quite funny. But the interesting thing is that statement, I am, it actually is very, uh, it's very telling about human nature. It's very telling about what's going on in the heart and the mind of that little child because what they are expressing is this reality that, that none of us like to be under authority. That in their, their frailness, in their fallen little flesh, they want to be an authority unto themselves. That's what that I am statement is saying. I want to rule. I want to reign for the next few moments. And it's not just my kids that do this, but but we do it. It's not just their fallenness that expresses itself this way, but, but mine does as well. And in fact, all of us, because the truth is, is that none of us like sitting under authority. This has been the problem ever since Adam. I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve, their rebellion against God wasn't simply that they took the fruit. It was absolutely that. It wasn't simply that they disobeyed God's law. They did that, but it was that they rejected God's authority in their life. They listened to the serpent, and they said, we know better. And ever since, we have been skeptical and concerned about authority outside of ourselves. And we have wanted it for ourselves. Right? I mean, we, we look at the way that authority is used in our world. We look at how power is used and how it's oftentimes abused, right? We look at the political sphere. We look at the places of our work. We even look at times at the church. And we see that those people who have been given authority, who have been given leadership and power, have oftentimes used that leadership and power not for the good of others, but for the good of themselves. Right? I mean, just the past few years, we've seen in the headlines the, the horrible ways in which the church has abused their power. Maybe you haven't experienced that yourselves, but to the extremes that we've seen it, but 
But we've all heard stories about people who have had the, the word manipulated and turned in order to keep people under authority, in order to keep people under the abuse of power. And so, of course, we're skeptical of it. We're skeptical of the power outside of us, and so we take it on ourselves, right? We hear Lord Acton saying, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And so we don't want any kind of power outside of ourselves, and so we turn to ourselves. There's a couple things we need to think about that. The first is, is that we should be just as skeptical of the external tyranny of the external authority as we are the internal authority. You see, our doctrine of sin should cause us to be skeptical of our own authority because we know we are fallen. But the other thing we should be mindful of is the fact that, that the abuse of power isn't the kind of power that God intended. It's not the kind of authority that God would have for us. No, you see, the authority of the church, the way in which God has given it to us, isn't intended to be abusive or dictatorial, but it's supposed to be a blessing. The authority that God gives to us is to be a blessing to the church, and that's what Peter is talking about here. That the authority of the church is to be a blessing to the people. He says in verse 2, to the elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And so Peter's saying there is a structure, a church government that God has put in place. And he has put it in place so that the church would have direction. So that the church would have leading. That the elders, the shepherds, are to exercise oversight. But what does this oversight look like? Well, it is authority, but it's not absolute, it's not ultimate, and yet it's authority nonetheless. And we see the nature of authority in verses 2 and 3. We see it in this contrast of negative and positive. Peter says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Do you see how he's presenting church authority? There's three negatives. Not under compulsion, not for shameful gain, not domineering, but then there are these positives. Authority is to be exercised freely through service as an example, and later we're going to see under authority. And so that's what I want us to see, that this kind of authority is actually a blessing to the church when it is exercised in these ways. That authority is to be exercised freely. That's how Peter began. That's the first point, that freedom is, or authority is exercised freely. The leader takes on this role freely. He's not coerced. He's not forced into this position, but he willingly enters into it. You see, it's not just a matter of duty. It's a matter of calling. The elder, the leader of the church, is not one who is forced into this position but is one who feels called by God, internally called by God to take on this role. But then oftentimes, well, all times, that internal call is affirmed externally as the church itself acknowledges the leadership of this person, of this man. You see, the elder is, is free to take on this authority, but, but it's not just exercised freely, this authority. This authority is expressed in service. That's what Peter says. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Now that, 
that phrase, shameful gain, it's speaking of material gain. And another way to think of it is greedy. You see, the leader is not to be greedy, and, and greed can come in many different forms. Right? There's many different motivations for greed. We're greedy for money. Now, the, the ruling elders, that they don't take on elders as, as greedy for money because they don't get paid. But there are other ways that you can be greedy. Greedy for power. Greedy, greedy for prestige or notoriety, for influence. And these are some of the reasons why people oftentimes will pursue leadership. Why they will desire authority. But Peter says that leadership in the church isn't motivated by greed or personal gain. No, church leadership doesn't pursue leadership so it can assert its own will or get a vote. No, instead, the leadership of the church is to be eager. That's all he says, eager. (laughs) But eager for what? Well, the word, it, it implies eager to do something, and we have to take it in context, this contrast. If they are not to be seeking their own gain, not for shameful gain, not greedy, then they are eager for what? Not the personal gain of self, but the gain of the flock. They're to be eager to serve. I mean, even think about the image of the shepherd that Peter gives. Shepherd the flock among you. A shepherd leads his sheep. He shows them where they're to go to eat. He stays up at night with them at their, his own expense. And, and at times will even give of himself in such a way to protect the sheep that he puts himself in danger. That's what a shepherd does for his sheep. And Peter's saying that an elder, a leader of the church, is supposed to be one who does the same. Is eager to serve the people, to give of himself for the sake of the people. And so this means that elders are supposed to bear the weight of others' lives. That they are supposed to bear with the church in the midst of anxiety and worry. It means that they patiently listen and pray and walk with people even when it's not convenient. I have a friend who's a retired chaplain, and he says that um, uh, every time someone uh, gets more authority, they get a new rank. You know, they, they, they ascend in the, in the ranks. They become a colonel or a major or, or general, whatever rank it might be. As, as they increase in rank, they not only get the new, like, insignia, the bars or the the uh, oak leaf or the star or whatever given to them. But, but every time they're given this new rank, they, they should also think metaphorically that they're given a bigger towel. <laughs> now, my friend, what he's invoking there is the image of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. You remember that? Jesus, the, the king of the universe, gets down on his knees and he washes his disciples' feet. If there was anyone who would ever who should have ever had his feet washed, it was Jesus. And yet there he is, serving his disciples with this towel. And my friend, he says, you see, every time you're given more authority, in the military, he would tell these these men, every time you're given more authority, every time you're given more leadership, every time you increase in rank, all it means is you have a bigger towel to serve. And I love that image. I love that image because that is the image that the church should be adopting. That as authority is given, all it means is that we have a bigger towel. It means that we have a greater requirement to serve, a greater call to give of ourselves. 
You see, the call to leadership is a call to serve. That's what the elders, that's what the leadership of the church are called to do. But if you're not an elder, if, if you're a member of the church, this means one point of application is that you are to invite the elders to serve you. And maybe the elders in our midst are, you know, maybe rethinking this whole elder thing. <laughs> no, they're not. But what I mean by this is when you're weighed down with anxiety, when you're burdened with grief, certainly there are friends and family members that you're going to call. And you're going to talk with them about it. And you're going to ask for their advice and their counsel and their leading and their direction. And you're going to just ask them sometimes to just be with you, to be present. And you need to do that. But they're not the only ones that you are to call. You're to call your leaders. You're to invite your elders, your, your pastor, into your lives. To, not so that we would domineer, not so we would tell you everything to do, but so that we would serve. You see, your application is to call us to fulfill the calling of serving. To invite us into your life so that we can be present in your grief. We can be with you in your anxiety. We can celebrate with you in your joys. You see, the calling to lead is the calling to serve. Church authority isn't reflected in barking out orders but it's in giving of self in service. And, and I have to tell you, that kind of authority, like, I, that is different than the authority of the world. That is different than the leadership that we see oftentimes played out in front of us. And that is the kind of leadership that I would say all of us would be more than willing to follow. Those who are willing to give of themselves for our sake. You see, authority is exercised through service. But it's also exercised as an example of faith. By way of example, Peter says, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. You see, Peter, when he looks at the authority of the church, when he looks at leaders in the church, he's concerned primarily with their manner of life. He's not just concerned with knowledge and understanding, those things are important, but that leaders are to be demonstrators of what a Christian life looks like. And so it means that elders aren't simply instructing people how they should live. They are living how they should live. Right? He says, but being examples to the flock, not, not one day they'll be an example. Not, not, well, I think that if we just give them enough time, they'll kind of grow into it. But that they are examples to the flock. You see, elders don't just talk about repentance. They repent. And they don't just talk about grace, but they extend it. And they don't just speak about sharing the gospel and being committed to community and guarding our tongues in humility. They actually live as an example for the flock. Demonstrators of the way in which we are to live. I mean, later Peter says in verse 5, clothe yourselves, all of you. So his focus isn't just on leaders now, it's on everyone. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. Where do we learn humility? It's supposed to be from our leaders, from our shepherds. That's where we learn humility and gentleness and care. 
You see, leadership isn't lording over, but it's demonstrating real faith. Even Peter is an example of this. I mean, think about Peter, the apostle, right? He is the writer of scripture. If anyone had authority, it was Peter, right? He watched Jesus. He walked with him. He heard him. He witnessed his sufferings, as he said. And how does he address himself? He doesn't come in and go, hey, y'all, I'm the rock on which the church is built. So y'all listen up. That's not what he said, right? He said, as a fellow elder. I mean, like, at, at first, we just kind of, you know, we just pass over that. But, but talk about the understatement of the entire book. As a fellow elder, you're an apostle, for goodness sakes. And yet, what does he do? He humbles himself. A fellow elder. As one who shares in the suffering of Christ. As, as a part of this exilic community. Now, it doesn't deny his authority. It doesn't deny his leadership. But he humbles himself in his discussion with them. He, he humbles himself before them. He demonstrates what real faith looks like. Hebrews chapter 13 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Consider their life, not just their doctrine, their life, and imitate their faith. You know, the church leaders who had the biggest impact on my life, the pastors who have influenced me and that I think about frequently, you know what I remember about them? It, it's not their sermons. I, I know that's hard for y'all to believe. I know y'all are just like scouring, whatever. It's not their sermons. And it's not their teaching. And it wasn't some pithy little statement that they came up with and four alliterated, alliterary, alliter, four points that are, all have the same letter. <laughs> no, it wasn't any of those things. You know what it is? You know what I remember about Randy and Ryan? I remember the way that they love their wife. <laughs> and I remember the way that they treat their kids. And I remember how they, they persevere in the midst of difficult situations and how they restrain themselves in difficult conversations and don't just, don't just go off the rails. I remember how they guard their tongues and with humility they invite others into their lives. I remember their lives. I remember their example. You see, friends, that, that, is what, that is what authority is. That is the best authority. One that teaches us what it means to live under authority, but, but more importantly, lives that, that teach us what it means to follow Christ. And you see, they're able to teach me those things because they themselves follow Christ. Because they themselves are living under authority. And that's the last thing I want you to see. That every human authority is under the authority of Jesus. And that the authority of the church should be a demonstration of that. You see, authority, church authority, is exercised under authority. Peter says in verse 2, Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The flock of God. Do you know when I talk about y'all? 
to my friends. I was just on a retreat. Some of y'all know I was just away with nine other pastors. I mean, talk about, you know, you might think that that might be kind of weird, right? Ten pastors hanging out for a week who you might be interested in uh, what we talk about. But when I talk about y'all, you know what I call you? Say my church. <laughs> These are my people. That's what I say. And, and I say that. I say my church, my people. I call you that because I know that there is a special relationship between a pastor and the church. It's a way of me expressing affection for you when you're not around. (laughs) These are my people. The people I get to love. The people I get to care for. These are my people. But, But I want you to know that even as I say that, my church, my people, I want you to know that I know that really you're not mine. You're not mine. You're Christ's. That's what he says about you. You are the flock of God. You are the blood-bought lambs of the Lord. The church is Christ's. The flock is his, of which I and the elders are but stewards and under-shepherds over. You see, you're not the sheep of Penny, and you're not the fold of Glenn, and you're not the flock of Frank. (laughs) You're the lambs of God. It is his authority that we live under. And if you're an elder, if you're a leader, this only ups the ante. This only makes the responsibility all the much more. Right? I mean, I I was telling my Sunday school class when Kat and I came for our visit here, our undercover visit, when no one knew we were here except for the the elders and the, the search committee, when we came for our undercover visit, we left our kids with a couple who had never spent, uh, had never actually even babysat our kids. <laughs> and I remember before we left, I looked at them and I said, these are my children. I am leaving them in your care. They're the most precious thing to me. And they understood what I was meaning. Like, you better care for them. You better watch over them. You better protect them. Because they're mine. And that's what Christ says about y'all. That you are the flock of God. And so as leaders, as elders, as shepherds, we are called to care for the people of God. To love and care for God's people as God would. Not as we would, as God would. That just ups the ante. It ups the ante for leadership. It ups the ante for shepherding. But, but also I want you to hear that, that Christ is the chief shepherd. That it's not me or Bob or whoever else. Christ is the chief shepherd. He is the one who exercises authority without error and without abuse and without failing. The truth is, is as you invite me into your life, I will fail you. <laughs> I'm going to make a mistake. I'm going to say something stupid. I'm going to say, not say something when I should have. I'm going to miss a birthday or an anniversary or I'm not going to be there when, exactly when you... I'm going to make a mistake and so, is the, so are all the other elders. But Christ is not. He is the chief shepherd and he rules with perfect authority. He doesn't abuse. He doesn't fail. He has no error. I mean, think about how he demonstrates his authority. He doesn't wield it against us, manipulating us. He uses his authority for your sake. He lived a perfect and holy life. 
He obeyed the law. He lived a life of service. I already discussed and mentioned how he washed the disciples' feet. But do you remember what he said after that? The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's what he did. He served you by going to his death, by doing what no one else could do. His life was given as a ransom. He willingly went to the cross. He freely gave his perfect life for imperfect people. I mean, we heard it in our assurance of pardon. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Christ, our great shepherd, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, he used that authority for you. And so, friends... People of God, let us not bristle at authority. Let us not shun the leadership of Christ's church. If anything, let us call shepherds and elders to live according to this high calling. But, but all of us, let us all ultimately look to the chief shepherd who by his authority, he made us his sheep. Amen. Father, we do thank you. We thank you that you, Lord Jesus, did what no one else could do. You kept the law. You obeyed perfectly. You went to the cross. You died. You rose again. You took our sins on our behalf. You redeemed us and made us your own. And so we thank you and we praise you. And I ask that the leadership of this church would lead and direct and live in a way that reflects your authority and that every one of us would live under your rule, submitting to your reign, calling you our great shepherd. Lead your sheep, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.